Did you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth. How many of them have you actually seen? These are movies so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you had actually seen them. So join me, Sam Wraith. And me, Joel Green, as each week we break down and review these films from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. This is 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. My name is Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry. I even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. My name's Joel. I enjoy film and TV a lot. I do have pretty strong opinions when it comes to both film and TV, which often my friend group disagree with. I always think I'm pretty justified in my opinions. So see what you think. Each week, myself and Joel will discuss a film that is described by many as one of the best films ever made. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated and bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, the 1976 film, directed by Martin Scorsese. Where do you start with this film? Oh, mate. Yep. It's dark. It's very dark, isn't it? It's very dark. Oh my... Not at all what I was expecting. So, I would compare this movie a lot to the movie Seven, which I know you haven't seen. No. But Seven is a brilliant movie. It has the same feeling of discomfort, where it's just... It's all a bit dark gritty it's raining all the time it's not nice but seven has an incredible story and it's like a total thriller that grips you this was miserable <laughs> like i just felt bad watching this yeah. i don't know about you i felt awful after this film which like, is saying something it's isn't it's not a pleasant use of your time. No. Not at all. I, I I know we're jumping the gun compared to what we usually do, but I just want to like preface this for people listening. That if you're thinking, ah, oh, I'll I'll actually I want to know exactly what they're talking about and I'm gonna go watch this film. Don't. Or if you it's, do, be prepared. It's not as bad as two thousand and one Space Odyssey. But at the same time, 2001 A Space Odyssey isn't as, it's boring, whereas this is unpleasant. Yeah, I did not come out the other side of this feeling okay. So it's starring Robert De Niro. Yeah, young Robert De Niro. Which, I for the first like half an hour, I was going, is, is that Robert De Niro? He, he looks it, so different. Well, he's young, isn't he? This is 1976. Yeah, but like, there's young and then there's having a different face shape. It looks so different. It to me, it looks like if they de-aged old Robert De Niro. I know that sounds really stupid, but it, it sort of gave me that uncanny valley where I recognised him, but I didn't. Even though yeah. this is just normal, this is what he looked like. It's like an AI de-aged Robert De Niro rather than like an actual younger Robert De Niro. Yeah, 
it, it felt weird in my head. Robert De Niro is very good in this. He's brilliant. He may be the only good actor in this, but he's very good. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird film. I mean, do you want to get into the plot? Yeah, let's 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 get into the plot. <laughs> let's relive this. Oh. <laughs> flashbacks. <laughs> Travis Bickle is a 26-year-old, honorably discharged U.S. Marine and Vietnam War veteran, suffering from PTSD and living alone in New York City. Travis takes a job as a night shift taxi driver to cope with his chronic insomnia and loneliness. He frequently goes to porn theatres and keeps a diary in which he consciously attempts to persuade himself that you're only as healthy as you feel. He becomes disgusted with the crime and urban decay that he witnesses in Manhattan and dreams about ridding the scum off the streets. Uh, it's a slow entry to the film. Very slow. Well, I mean, we're straight into it, though, aren't we, with with meeting Travis and sort of knowing quite a lot of character exposition straight away, which is sort of presented as this interview with the taxi company. Yeah, and he's a bit of a blank sheet protagonist, isn't he? Yeah, you... I... It, well, I mean, I instantly felt unsettled by him. I don't know about yes, you. Yes, I, th- I think that is it. He's a blank sheet, so he didn't really have an opinion on anything. No. And that continues into the movie. And he was sort of awkward and, like, struggling, which sort of masterfully acted by Robert De Niro. yeah. Like, because I don't think this is what Robert De Niro is actually like. Um, no. But almost within the first five minutes, I felt I knew already everything about this character and that I didn't like him. Yeah, no, that that is the, the overall I mean, thing. You just don't, you don't like him. You don't like him and you want to sort of be as far away from him as possible. Like, I crossed he's, the street to avoid him. He's like a nothing-y character, which is unsettling. Because you don't... Because you don't know where he's at. You don't know his opinion on anything. You don't want to know what he's thinking. No, and that is almost the scariest part of him. I would say this is really good character. If you had something else to take comfort in in the film, if there was like another character where you had like a solid grounding, I think this is what made the film so uncomfortable. There was like no solid, trustable characters in there. There was no, nothing to like rely upon as an audience. So your main protagonist makes you uncomfortable and he's in it a lot. You just follow him. Yeah, it's almost... and The entire story is from almost his point of view. Yeah. We we never follow another character. Like, Travis is in every scene. So it's... You just get this, like... Discomfort all the way through of not knowing what he's going to do or what he's going to say. But not in a... I wouldn't say it's like not in a dramatic way. Everything he does is fairly predictable. And then there's these porn theaters everywhere. Like... Yeah, which he, his, he's got a weird obsession with them. And you can tell he's a bit weird around women. Yeah, from I that think... that scene where he goes into the theater and he's like really uncomfortably trying to chat up the lady at the kiosk. Yeah, and she and then he just... And then he... Buy some popcorn and a chocolate bar to go watch his porn film. Yeah. So odd. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no. I Sit in a, I sh- I'm awkward I should think enough. not, Sam. I'm awkward enough watching like, films <laughs> with sex and people are in the room. 
I don't want to sit in a. I mean, I suppose this is before like home video existed. So maybe yeah. this is how people got their kicks back in the day. Yeah. But, oh no. Ugh. Disgusting. Why would you get? Why would you get snacks? Why would you get? <laughs> well, maybe yeah. We, I mean, we don't see him do anything sort of sexual in the cinema. Maybe he's literally no. just there to watch them. He just goes and sits there, and you're just like very unsettling. Come on, do you want to do the next bit? Yeah. <laughs> Not really. No. Not really. <laughs> Probably going to have to. Travis becomes infatuated with Betsy, a campaign volunteer for senator and presidential candidate Charles Palantine. Travis enters the campaign office where she works and asks her out for coffee, to which she agrees. Betsy confesses that she feels a special connection to Travis and agrees to go on another date with him. During their date, Travis takes Betsy to a porn theatre, which repulses her and causes her to leave. He attempts to reconcile with her to no avail. Enraged, he storms into the campaign office where she works and berates her before he's ordered to leave. Right, so starting with Betsy, what's wrong with her? Right, so we... So we meet Betsy. <laughs> Why would she and agree? It's, it's presented to you like she's another main character. We're getting a little yeah. bit of character building around her. And I'm like, interesting, Travis isn't in this scene. But then it's revealed that Travis is. And he's just watching her through the window from his taxi. And has right, been and... For, for an indeterminate amount of time. And there's a theme throughout this movie of people not recognising people that they've seen. <laughs> Yeah, as well. or recognising massive red flags. Yeah. Yeah. It's She's like, like, there's a taxi driver watching me through the window. And then 10 minutes later, meets a taxi driver who's obsessed with her and isn't putting two and two together. Like, come on, red flag. So one thing confusing about this film, and I know it's going to get you Godfather subtitles, Ugh, Sam. Uh, what time period is this over? I don't know. I don't really know. Well, we can gauge it from from Palantine, can't we? As in, like, he's running for senator. How long does, like, the US presidential... It's just about a year, isn't it? They start gearing about up a year, a year yeah. before, and then it ends with him sort of winning it. So I would... I'd say, yeah, probably about a year. His hair keeps on changing. It goes short. In fact, his hair is probably short. a brilliant way to recognise how long it's been because he does get haircuts and it goes a little bit shorter. Yeah. And I don't think that's a continuity error. I think it's. Well, that, that was my question. I don't is it a continuity? think so. Because we get. Well, because it starts out, he's very dishevelled, isn't he? He's scruffy, he's unkept, he's unshaven. This yeah. is sort of when his life is maybe at its lowest. Um, which in 1976 was probably rough, but in 2023 is probably bang on fashion. As he has maybe highs in his life, he shaves, he's, he has his hair cut, um, we'll get into it, he gets into amazing shape. Like, yeah, I think his, his hair represents him as a character, maybe. Sort of, maybe, it, it yeah. Loses into how it's he's like, feeling. When it's cut, it's badly cut. I, well. I, it's like he's done it himself. Yeah. Which this character probably did. Yeah. It's like all the same length all the way around. Yeah. Just a razor in the medium setting. He's like a bish bash bosh, that'll do. 
we well, we get all these shots as well, don't we? Where they really want you to see that he's a taxi driver. It's just him yeah. completing random jobs. Doesn't really have any impact on the plot. It's just him driving at night. And they just really I want think... you to know that he's a taxi driver. I think doesn't have an impact in the plot is like... <laughs> <laughs> the main theme of this film. <laughs> you could cut a lot of this film down. A, an awful lot of this film. And I think that is a recurring theme with these films that we're watching for this podcast. You could yeah. cut maybe an hour out of most of them. Okay. Imagine if you will, you're a woman, okay? I know, <laughs> I know what's coming, yeah. And he just walks in, okay? And he's clearly in love with you, and he asks you out. This is creepy, isn't it? Yeah. It's weird, but she's oddly charmed by it. But this whole scene, I'm going, does she not realise he's the one who's been watching her? For Yeah, yes. Surely. And the moment he tells her that she's a taxi driver, my brain would go, oh, you're the freak who's been watching me. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this film probably gave a lot of reclusive weirdos hope. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. shoot your shot, go for it, but Jesus. It felt like characters doing stuff for the plot, yeah. didn't it? So Travis is clearly not all there, is he? We know he's we know he's no. a veteran. So maybe like he's he's obviously seen some so I mean he's seen some clearly messed up stuff. He's been in Vietnam. But why does he take his date to a porno? It seemed left field, even for this character. Because he does well on date one. They go for a coffee. It's he does nice. really well. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going to tell you to see porn. Yeah. Like, read the room, mate. Because we're theorising that he just goes to watch these films. He doesn't go to do anything nasty and sordid. Do you know what I mean? He's buying snacks and stuff. He's watching them. But put a line in where he says that he likes them and they're artistic and exactly there's no character development there's nothing there like the motivations aren't clear and a lot of it's up for interpretation and i don't like that no he travis as a character does things the only motivation he has is with women really throughout the entire film well, yeah it becomes nothing... becomes obsessed with them doesn't he yes Look, but almost of, yeah. non-sexually as well yeah, we. I mean, we don't. We do not see, apart from going to the dirty film, we do not see him do anything sexual in the entire no. film. And there's a few moments when you think it might happen, and then it doesn't. Experiencing an existential crisis and seeing various acts of prostitution throughout the city, Travis confides in a fellow taxi driver nicknamed Wizard about his violent thoughts. However, Wizard dismisses them and assures him that he will be fine. In an attempt to find an outlet for his rage, Travis begins a programme of intense physical training. A fellow taxi driver recommends him a black market gun dealer, Easy Andy, from whom Travis buys four handguns. At home, Travis practices drawing his weapons and modifies one to allow him to hide it and quickly deploy it from his sleeve. He also begins attending Palantine's rallies to scope out their security. One night, Travis shoots and kills a man attempting to rob a convenience store run by a friend of his. He picks up a picks up a man, doesn't he, in his taxi, who asks him to 
spy on his wife, should we say? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know. Did you know, Joel? That person's played by Martin Scorsese. Ah, that's the director. I did not recognise him. Yeah, that is a very I recognise him these uh, days, but yeah, Martin Scorsese um, uh. playing. I mean, he turns up and it makes me really uncomfortable. This is yeah. an awful scene. So he sort of pulls up and says, "Look up there, look in that window. Do you see that? That's my wife." And we see the silhouette of, of a undressed woman. And he goes, mm. but the thing is, that's that's not my apartment. That's the person. You can't say this word. What? <laughs> yeah, he, he says, that's an N-word apartment, and he's sleeping with my wife. And then he goes on this rant, this tirade, about how he's going to kill them both with a, with a, I think it's a, a Colt 45. And have you ever seen what yeah. happens when, when you shoot a Colt 45 in... Like at a woman in her face, and then like her oh, downstairs. Yeah, her downstairs area, and it's like it's uncomfortable. The images that it's putting in your head in this scene is uncomfortable, and it makes Travis look completely sane in comparison. Yeah, it's like I think the point of the scene was to add a more extreme point of view to normalise Travis more for himself and the audience. However, I just found myself going, listening to this monologue for like five minutes going, why am I here? Why am I watching this? Why am I <laughs> if here? It was, if, if I wasn't doing a podcast, I would have switched off right then. So I think this is a good point as well to mention the soundtrack of this film. So it's like slow New York blues like all the way through I'm not a fan not a fan and then especially in the bits where there's some action like there's a few action scenes that there's like just weird orchestral music and like I like orchestral music but this was weird with like random temp drums and all sorts going like chaotic orchestral music I'd say which I know is supposed to match the scene but it just sounded bad to my ears <laughs> it's like the soundtrack wants to distract you from what you're watching it doesn't yeah. match doesn't match I expected sort of psychologically triggering music and it wasn't it was sort yeah. of upbeat bluesy jazz all the way through. Every one of these films in the top 100 has had iconic music so far. Yeah, you recognise it. You you know it sort of before the film. This was the opposite. It was not even... It, let alone iconic, it wasn't good. So did, did Scorsese kill his wife? Did Travis help him? We don't get an answer. Don't know. Don't know. Just left. We, we get like... Travis is sat there listening. He isn't reacting, dead behind the eyes. Um, doesn't say anything, doesn't pull him up on anything. And then it just cuts away to the diner with, with the other taxi drivers. No answers. Cliffhanger that, that, in the middle of again, the film. That's his film, isn't it? <laughs> Why? Uh, is Travis racist? Probably. Because 
it's never they hint ex- it heavily hint that there's a lot of shots of him looking at black characters with but also women yeah they are women but they're specifically there's a lot of looking at black characters so we have this scene where he's picking out which guns he wants and he picks a ridiculous gun like a huge huge magnum what he picks the one that martin scorsese's character talks about the one that oh, can blow, that's that the gun. yeah the one that would blow off hands and stuff but so, like uh, he's clearly taken on board what what he said like yeah so like you are saying that he is showing that he's impressionable isn't he he's very impressionable and I think it goes towards. I don't think there is a lot going on behind his eyes. I think he's very Weak mental state, yeah, molded by his surroundings, and his surroundings are not good. He's he's meeting sort of. We get that scene, don't we, where he picks up the senator purely by coincidence. He meets Palantine in his cab, and Palantine says, "I've learned more about this city from taxi drivers than than anything else could tell me." Um, so yeah, I think just the clientele that Travis is getting is just shaping this, at the time, not a very good personality. A hatred yeah. for foreigners and minorities. And yeah, weird. Once he gets these guns, he, throughout the rest of the movie then, he's always kind of practicing taking aim at things. On TV, out the window, all sorts. And it's always either black men or white women. Yeah. Which just feeds more into my, what is what is this? Yeah. What is so he this... planning to do here? Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Nothing comes of it, really. Not, no. Because this, it's... and we'll get to it, this film does a weird 90 degree angle. You'll know this. Is it Chekhov's gun or something? Yeah, Chekhov's gun. You should never introduce something that you don't plan on using later on. There is there is a lot of Chekhov's gun in this. Some that is really obviously paid off. Like, too obviously. Uncomfortably obviously. Um, like, with his new guns, he practices lots of different moves with them and stuff. And the final scenes play out exactly how he practices in his room yeah. and it's like oh okay yeah whatever Fine. there's a reason we're seeing this and it's because it is yeah play off and, later. but it's like exactly we get that we get the bit as well um where he's looking at himself in the mirror and he says you talking to me and i knew this from back to the future and i didn't realize it was from this it's just Marty McFly making a reference to this film. Yeah. It's a very dark film for a film like Back to the Future to be referencing. Yeah. Also, he's just in his room, topless, psyching himself up for nothing. Yeah. And that's where the Are You Talking to Me comes from. Everything, everything. Really? Just, he's, everything's so rehearsed with him. And all of a sudden you're like, has he practiced every conversation he's ever had with someone? Yeah, full psycho. So nutty. And he's clearly yeah. unravelling, isn't he? And it yes. all... It, I think it, he's finally... Clearly tipped over the edge when Betsy breaks up with him. And, and then he... 
is in a convenience store that's getting robbed by a black man, I should say. True. Um, and he shoots him dead. And there are no repercussions for this. He gets away with it. The shop cover shopkeeper's like, oh, this is the first one this month. I'll cover it up. And he just leaves. So all of a sudden he's got this little niggle in his head that goes, you can kill people, it's fine. You won't get in trouble. Yeah. And it's it happens quickly and quietly, this scene. Yeah. It's not dramatic. Not at all. It's, it's just like normalised. And he's just there the next day watching TV. It just cuts like straight away. Well, straight away. Chilling. Yeah, we get this cut to how mundane his life clearly is. So he's gone from this incredible high of killing someone to crashing back down to earth, sat watching boring TV. I think he's watching like boring dancing or something. And yeah. Oh, I mean, I was bored watching it. Let alone. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the action isn't dramatic is the main thing there, which I think is representing how normalized it is for him and how undramatic it is for him as well. And it's almost like him killing that robber isn't the high that he needs. Because he gets worse from there. So on his trips around the city, Travis regularly encounters Iris, a child prostitute. He solicits her and tries to persuade her to stop prostituting herself. Soon after, Travis cuts his hair into a mohawk and attends a public rally where he plans to assassinate Palantine. However, he's chased away by the Secret Service agents who see him unzipping his jackets and putting his hand inside. So if they uh, wanted to make this film any more uncomfortable, they, they, they jumped on it and added in child prostitution. A child prostitute played by Jodie Foster, who is quite a famous actress, and this is one of her first roles. Yeah. She is 12 years old in real life when she was filming this. No way. Really? Yep. They hired... 12-year-old Jodie Foster to play a 12-year-old child prostitute. Good lord. Dark. Yeah. Very. Need, needlessly dark. Very dark. And she is present for some scenes that you feel you probably wouldn't put a 12-year-old in. But I did not want to be here for this old child prostitute scene. No. The same as I didn't want to be there for the Martin Scorsese sort of shooting scene. It just it's uncomfortable, or the hairs were like stood up on my. I was just ick. It was like icky. Didn't want to be there. Uh, we meet Harvey Keitel from Reservoir Dogs as a pimp. Oh, uh, yeah. Who is, no, I mean, do. he's brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Very little character, but. Very little character. Just funny and has a lot of commentary, uh, like commentary on, on Travis, sort of calling him out that he's very uncool and Travis is like I'm cool I'm hip and he's like yeah sure but we well yeah so we we finally find out what he's been planning towards don't we he's going to assassinate Palantine that's what he's building to he starts to sort of survey the secret service he's got a scene where he chats to one of them and the secret service clock on how suspicious he is straight away and they're like oh you want to be part of the secret service yeah just give us your name address all your contact details and we'll we'll send you some stuff out wink and obviously travis gives him a, him a fake name and a fake like he, he is quite clever in this scene he sees it coming 
Um, but yeah, it's building towards he's going to assass- assassinate Palantine because that is that's what Betsy's job is. Betsy is trying to get this man elected. So I don't know if Travis in his head has put two and two together and got five and said, oh, well, Betsy's chosen Palantine over me. So if I kill Palantine, then she'll want to be with me. It's You're given no real reason for why he wants to kill Palantine. I think it's... No, most of it I'm theorising. I'm just yeah, trying to I make think... some sense of this film. I was talking earlier about how you need to give audiences more credit. Bits of this you need to give the audiences less credit. Give them less <laughs> credit and give them at least some breadcrumbs. Goodness. Yeah, because I, I had no idea why he wants to kill Palantine. No, no I idea. Yeah. He didn't have a bad interaction with him. There's no real reason. He got on with him really well when he was in his taxi. Palantine, asked for, Palantine asked for his opinion. Respected him as a person and as a profession. I, I just... And then he had the mohawk, and I was just like, "Why is he here?" I could, well, yeah, I I assume he's cut his hair, so he's unrecognizable, because characters don't recognize people in this. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> so all of a sudden he's gone. Oh, have I cut a mohawk? Then I stand I out, but him. people would remember if they'd seen me before. This is a new look. It's like a disguise he's done, but he bungles it, doesn't he? He quite obviously. Yeah puts his hand in his pocket, and the Secret Service, whose literal job this is to spot, spot it and chase him away. Not very well. Do you know what I mean? He gets away. And we have the classic police or Secret Service agent, as soon as they start running over, running to somebody, there's like three people in front of them, and of course they collide with one collide, person. Collide, fall yeah, to the it's floor. It's just like, oh, fine, okay, fine. Oh, shocker, plot device, the main character's yeah. got away. Travis then drives to the brothel where Iris works. He shoots her pimp, Sport, and enters the building and engages in a shootout with Sport and one of Iris's clients, a mafiosa. Travis is shot several times but manages to kill the two men. He then brawls with a bouncer whom he manages to stab through the hand with his knife located in his shoe and finish off with a gunshot to the head. Travis attempts to commit suicide, but he's out of bullets. Bloody and injured, he slumps on the couch next to the sobbing Iris. As police respond to the scene, a delirious Travis imitates shooting himself in the head with his finger. Right. I mean, that's that's just it. There's nothing to say about this scene. No. There's a lot that... to say about this scene, Joel. <laughs> It so we start so off nothingy as a finale. No, oh. no, right. Go on. You Travis go. kills the pimp, yeah, yeah. And we get, I thought, some quite good acting where we get these really uncomfortable noises of him sort of dying, and I've never really heard them before. I was like, oh, this is quite realistic. Like it's it's sort of choking on his blood. It's it's an attention to detail that's quite good. Yeah. But then we get some bizarre slow-mo, oddly synced, edited shootout. Oh, I forgot about that. It was bizarre. Like It was terrible. It was, And there was some good effects. Like, it starts with Travis shooting the man and his hand blows up, basically. That looked yeah. great. Practical. Brilliant. But then all the rest of the shooting in the scene looked shocking. 
like the guns had like sparks flying out of them. It went from a Hollywood movie to a student film. Yeah, it's like all of the budget disappeared. Yeah, for the finale. Which is what? And it was weird slow motion as well. It looked terrible because it had awful frames. It was just, wasn't it? it? The pace was so odd. I couldn't figure it out. It took me right out of it. I went, this looks like rubbish. Yeah, and the music was bad. Oh, it didn't match. And 12-year-old Jodie Foster is present for all of this. She's yeah. seeing all this happen. God knows what that did to her. So throughout the movie, we see him prepping, don't we? Travis yeah. is preparing for something. There's a lot of scenes about it. There's a lot of time dedicated to it. A lot of time. Yeah. But he wasn't preparing for this, Joel. He was preparing to kill the senator. Yeah. Because he wrote a letter. He was expecting to kill the senator and then be killed in the protest. Because he wrote notes to people saying, by the time you read this, I'll be dead. He writes a note to Iris with money for her to get home saying, I will be dead when you read this. He's putting his affairs in order. Yeah. This isn't his plan. No. This is his backup. But all of this prep works for this. Like the need for... He's got a secondary gun that's spring-loaded. Yeah. Which works perfectly in this scene when his main gun runs out and he's pinned up against a wall. It lines up with his prep too well. Far too well. It's like they wrote this scene and worked backwards. It makes it come across silly James Bond. Yeah. He's got the knife that's perfectly in his boot to kill the person that's on the floor with him. It, it doesn't make any sense. This isn't his plan. This isn't what his plan is. His plan is shoot the senator, go out as a hero, and that's it. But it, And then he, th- this is all very last minute, like spur of the moment, but it's all well rehearsed and just works out. I didn't like it. People get shot a lot and just carry on going as well. He gets shot in the neck, doesn't flinch. No one reacts like they've been shot. Not that we've shot anybody. No. I feel if I was shot, you'd bloody know about it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true. If I was shot in the neck like Travis, oh, that'd be it. Yeah, I would have thought that'd be dead. And then, I mean, if it doesn't, he just carries on going. Yeah, he keeps going and like Terminator. Shot in the shoulder, but there's no recoil by anything. I just don't get it. It it, it just went weird. Student movie, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But then there was like dream sequence music over it <laughs> and i thought that this film was about to like do that and it was all a dream like yeah. we're gonna cut to him just driving in his taxi and he's imagining this entire thing as you said before it just went 90 degrees didn't it just or even 180 completely different direction yeah like, but like not not a, i'll preface this not a twist no not it just changed twist. direction it's just everything that the film was seemingly building towards was thrown out the window in a really anticlimactic scene. It's like if they made Taxi Driver and then a sequel and then someone's fan-edited them together into one film. Because there's like two yeah. climaxes. One's very anticlimactic. You've got the whole Senator thing that climaxes really boringly. And then this massive shootout that just sort of comes out of not nowhere. They have been teasing it. But you sort of feel like this has been sorted. Tacked on. 
And Travis then dies. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was sat there just going, what? I thought, what? I was thinking, he's had his character arc. He's died. He saved Iris. He's got. He's had a redeeming part. He's you know gone I mean? full psycho, but at least he saved one person. Saved one person. Although he has given her psychological damage. Yeah, he's messed her up. I mean, I feel like being a 12-year-old child prostitute probably gives you more psychological damage. True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah. But no, he survives. He falls into a coma. Um, but he's commended as a hero. Yeah. For taking out a crime ring, and gets zero repercussions. Yeah. Like not. Yeah, he was shot, but he. I mean, he went to hospital. He was fixed. He should be in prison. He should be in prison, but he's heralded by the press as this he- heroic vigilante. And isn't prosecuted for the murders. Yeah. And he gets... So the film shows that he's received a letter from Iris's father. Like, they've, they've come and taken her home. Good. I, I'm glad we got Iris safe. Yeah. Good. Do you know what I mean? It's like this really nice, heartfelt One nice letter. thing. <laughs> yeah, One nice thing, please. has at least a redeeming feature in the fact that he saved Iris. But he went full psycho. Was he even doing full... it for Iris? No, and this is the issue. Iris isn't introduced properly until like the last forty-five minutes of the film. Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. It it felt more like he wanted to kill some people because he didn't go to save her. No, this wasn't his he plan. Didn't leave if his this room. was his plan, I'd accepted it. Yeah. This is what he's building towards. This is what all his prep is. But it wasn't. His plan was to kill the senator and get Betsy. But then all of a sudden he just becomes infatuated with two girls at once. Like, very bizarre. Again, it, I, I don't think it's sexual as well. No, it's not, because Iris keeps trying to yeah. be sexual with him, and he is repulsed by it. He's like, get, off me. get off me. This yeah. isn't what I want, which I liked. Because I, I think if this character, if he'd have slept with Iris, I probably would have turned this film off. Yeah. I don't think I could have watched that. No. <laughs> no. And then you have a weird scene at the end where Betsy's like sort of talking to him again because he's a hero now. And he should be in a mental institute. <laughs> Betsy shouldn't be talking to him. No <laughs> one knows. This is the point. But he still walked up to a random place and started shooting it up. But... That's it's some red ring. flags. It's a crime ring, isn't it? it there's proof yeah, that there's children he there? prostitutes was... here. He, he's seen as this vigilante. He's seen as like Batman, basically. But there'd be questions as to why he was there. And he, what, but he, why was yeah, he involved? He was probably he was he well he fell into a coma, didn't he? So they probably investigate and they went, oh, there's kids prostitutes here. This is a random guy on the street who's taken out some vigilante justice. He's killed criminals. He's a hero. Well done. It is 1976, you know what I mean? It's a bit different nowadays. But yeah, so we get this scene where Travis has returned to work, he's grown his hair back out, and encounters Betsy as a fair. And they have quite a nice conversation where she says that she followed his story in the newspapers. Travis then drops her at home, but declines to take any money. And just drives off with a smile. 
like what he's the better person is he a better is he fixed now like what why where how so and i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) do something here that i don't normally do i'm gonna try and fix this film oh okay so if at this point yeah Mm -hmm. if we'd have had flashbacks that was revealed travis as a proper vigilante like imagine if we flash back to Scorsese's character after we left it, and Travis yeah. kills him in his taxi. Okay, yeah. Okay, imagine we flash back to the senator, and maybe we hear how bad he is. Maybe Palantine sleeps with Iris. Yeah. You know I mean, maybe it turns out that he's been sleeping with twelve-year-old girls. Yeah. And then we've got some character motivation for their why for why he wants to kill Palantine. But we don't. We don't get that. We just get, what is the theme of this film? That you can do awful things and face no consequences. Like, what is this film trying to tell the audience? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you what this film's about. And it's like he's the bigger person. Like, she isn't good enough for him. Yeah. What is it saying? what What is this film pushing? Because those fixes wouldn't be a lot. I mean, if you flash back and showing that he killed, at least then you've got this concise thread that he's a vigilante throughout it. And if he sees injustice, because he says that he wants to rid the streets, do you know what I mean? Let's go on to Joker, shall we? The 2019 film directed by Todd Phillips. It is heavily inspired by this. Like they said it at the time, it was marketed as that. Do you know what I mean? Like, And it has made me want to rewatch Joker. Because I really like that film. However, Joker does this better. Yeah, it's it's much better. Like, it makes clear the themes of mental illness. And we get character motivations that make sense. And we know that the character's unhinged. Like, and Arthur, like, the main character in Joker, get, do you know what I mean? He, there is consequences for his actions. It's almost like Todd Phillips wanted to remake Taxi Driver and make but fix good. the problems. Yeah. But maybe he wasn't allowed. Maybe he went, I mean, if I just change it to a clown, it's a Joker film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, in 1994, this film was considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and was added to the National Film Registry in the US Library of Congress. Baffled. Got four Oscar nominations. Including Baffled. Best Picture, Best Actor for De Niro, Best Supporting okay. Actress for Foster, and Best Original Score. What? Didn't win any of them. Okay. Well, De Niro was good. De Niro was brilliant. He's the saving grace of this film. If you are going to watch this film, watch it for De Niro's performance, but you're not going to enjoy this film. Uh, right then, scores on the doors. I think it's your time to go first. This seems extreme, but 2001 Space Odyssey was boring. I don't think boring is as big a crime as actively unpleasant to watch. One out of ten. The one is for De Niro. It wasn't pleasant to watch. It was a small amount of torture. I mean, I have the exact same reasoning as you. I won't lie. Uh, Mine just says, I've seen better versions of this film. And I really didn't like the message that it pushed. And I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. 
Next week, we're watching Dead Poet Society. Hopefully it's happier. It better be, because if it's not, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. Joel, do the outro. Are you looking at my outro? I'll do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. If you could like this episode, it would really help us out. Do you have a suggestion for a film you think we should watch? Why not leave us a comment letting us know? You can also follow us on Insta at 1001moviesnotseenpod or drop us an email at 1001moviesnotseen at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. I'm just... This film has defeated me. Mentally, physically, emotionally. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. That was awful. See you next week.